Hello, Sex Appeal listeners. This is Kit Elliott, one of your hosts for this show. After an extended hiatus, Katie and I have reassessed our stance on the true crime genre as entertainment and the way it affects the real-world victims involved in these cases. While this show has always striven to highlight injustices and prejudice in our society and legal system over anything else, we still want to make some changes to assure absolutely no harm comes from the stories we tell here. So, now, Sex Appeal Women on Trial will focus solely on historic true crime cases. That is, trials that took place a minimum of 150 years ago. All of our episodes already posted over the years that discuss cases that do not meet this new criteria have been removed, which is the main reason for this announcement. Because several episodes were deleted in their entirety, some remaining episodes may contain references to something said in one of them. We apologize for any confusion or continuity problems this creates. We hope you can understand the reasoning behind this decision. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Sex Appeal Women on Trial. I'm Kit. And I'm Katie. Welcome. Welcome. No thanks, I hate it. (laughs) This is not a musical podcast. Uh, Let's talk about something nice that happened. Kit, do you want to go first? Yeah. um, This isn't one specific event, but sort of an ongoing nice thing. This semester I am in two different musicals. I'm in Godspell and Spring Awakening. And those have been going so well and I'm having lots of fun with both of them. I've been doing theater for like... 14 years? Oh, dang. <laughs> I'm a Thebe, thespian theater weeb. I don't like this. <laughs> but yes, um, but I've been having a lot of fun with these shows. Nice. Uh, next week is my cousin's family reunion, and this time it's actually like the cousins instead of, you know, the aunts and uncles' cousins. And you know, when you start a podcast, you just go to friends and family, like, hey, can you follow our Instagram? I don't even know if they actually listened. And if they do, they're going to have some comments at the family reunion (laughs) next week. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, Do you want to add anything else before we get started? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think of other good things. I'm like, no, this week has been... um, It's been trying times. (laughs) Trying times in the land of... Us? Us, yeah. (laughs) Okay, Katie. Last story you told me was, um, was interesting. That last story I told you was amazing, but go on. No, 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 no. Yeah, amazing. I'm just curious about what you have in store for me today. Um, and I'm hoping you aren't continuing your human cookbook that you started with Kate Webster. No, no. It was a rumor that those boys ate the reduced fat of Mrs. Thomas. Oh, my mistake. Just a rumor. It's alleged. (laughs) If you skipped last week's episode, you'd be probably confused, but you should check it out if you like gross stuff. Today, I'll be telling you, our lovely listeners and Kit, about the less gruesome trial of Phryne, the Greek hetera who exposed herself in front of a court of men to talk herself out of a death sentence. Love that. We do not condone criminal acts here on Sex Appeal. But gosh darn don't we love a good story. Let's get started. Phryne was the daughter of Epicles from central Greece, but spent most of her life in Athens. Even though we don't 
exactly know the date of her birth and death. Historians assume she was born around 371 BC. There is little known about her early life, but what historians do know is that her birth name was Nasarit, meaning virtue mindful. This is a lovely name, but it wasn't really appropriate in her profession. Her name was then changed to Phryne, which also sounds nice, but Kit, do you know what that means in Greek? No, is it also something like virtue mindful? It means toad. Oh no, why would you change it to toad? Apparently because she had a sallow complexion. I don't understand why a sallow complexion is like a toad, but whatever, she rocked the name. She she rocked it. Dude. She owns it. She owns it. Would you like to read this poem? Hell yeah, I love poetry. Praxiteles has devoted earnest care to representing all the love he felt. Drawing his model from his inmost heart, I gave myself to Phryne for her wages, and now I no more charms employ, nor arrows, save those of earnest glances at my love. So, uh, in summary, she was real hot. So Phryne was a hetera, or courtesan, or a high-end prostitute. However, Phryne was more successful, and she was seen as an equal to the men who courted her. Phryne was so desirable, she supposedly charged a customer for her service based on how much she liked them. For example, the king of Lydia paid a national debt level sum, but her close friend and philosopher, Diogenes of Sinapis, got services for free. She became so rich from her services, she offered to fund the rebuilding of the Wall of Thebes, which had been destroyed by Alexander the Great in 336 BC. In return, all she wanted was the words, destroyed by Alexander, restored by Phryne, the courtesan, to be inscribed on the wall. That is big Dickens energy. We are bringing big Dickens energy back. You cannot stop me. This becomes our thing. I don't know. (laughs) Yes, it's our thing now. However, the town's patriarchs and politicians possibly felt intimidated by the idea that a woman, and for that matter, not just a woman, a prostitute, could rebuild what Alexander the Great had destroyed. So she was like, I will fund the entire construction of the wall. Just gotta write my name on it. And no, we're not gonna do that. So Phryne was not only beautiful, but she was also intelligent. She was in the same social circles acquainted with Athens philosophers, the most celebrated intellectuals of her time. She was witty, persistent, and some sources say that she was self-deprecating. Same. (laughs) Not the first two, just the self-deprecating part. (laughs) Which is a self-deprecating joke, I just realized. (laughs) We love relatable women. Oh my gosh, so relatable. (laughs) But despite these good qualities, she is mostly remembered solely for her beauty. Phryne posed for her lover Proxitales, the most celebrated sculpture in Greece in the 4th century BCE. He had sculptured his Aphrodite of Canades statue in her image. It was one of the first, most famous female sculptures of its time. If his sculpture was an accurate representation of Phryne, she would have a straight nose, round jaw, small lips, and wide-set eyes. This is interesting to me because these features are not similar to today's conventional beauty standards and ideals, if you think about it. According to the textbook The Kaleidoscope of Gender, Prisms, Patterns, and Possibilities, the feminine beauty ideal is the socially constructed notion that physical attractiveness is one of woman's most important assets. 
and something all women should strive to achieve and maintain. I could go on and say that feminine beauty standards have seen correlations to many psychological disorders in women such as lower self-esteem, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, but I don't want to rant and make everyone sad. Fair. The statue was widely regarded as one of the most desirable of its time, literally and metaphorically. There was one account that describes a nobleman who became obsessed with the statue and spent many nights in the temple just to be near it. I like to imagine her walking by and just being like, Uh, oh, real thing right here for a good sum, you know what I'm saying, boy. So you might be thinking, hey, good for her for making that bread. Do people still say that? I don't know. They definitely didn't say it back then, but who cares? But why are you talking about her? Did she go on trial for prostitution? You would think that, but sometime around the year 350 BC, she was charged with impiety, which is a... A perceived lack of proper respect for something considered sacred. Impiety, associated with sacrilege, though it's not necessarily a physical action. Impiety cannot be associated with a cult as it implies a larger belief system was disrespected. Don't disrespect cults, apparently. <laughs> Thank you, I enjoyed that voice. Thank you. You see, she was practicing Ellicillian mysteries. Ellicinian, alright. I am very excited to talk about all of this, especially because it has to do with my girl Persephone. Here's the thing, y'all. I am pagan, and Persephone is my matron goddess, which means... I have lots to say here. Okay, but this is not going to be a three-hour episode of me talking about Persephone and Demeter and the Ellicinian Mysteries. I will keep it short-ish. Ellicinian Mysteries were these rituals for this sort of secret school. And the thing is, I can't even tell you that much about it because we still don't really know what these rituals were or what they did. People would go and if they were, you know, allowed to go to this school and perform these rituals and then they would come out and they were sworn to secrecy under the threat of death if they talked about it. But some people did say that they came out of these rituals suddenly understanding everything about the world and suddenly saw things in a new way and experienced death. And then the way Persephone and Demeter kind of interact with this is... Whatever they did in there, they represented the myth of the abduction of Persephone from her mother Demeter by Hades and went along with this cycle that was in three phases, the descent, the search, and the ascent. And the main theme was the ascent, the last part, and that was the Persephone's reunion with her mother Demeter. I'll stop there. I could go on. Lots of conspiracy theories, my dude. Ooh. Next. <laughs> so it wasn't a cult it was said to be the school itself where like that performed these rituals was said to be a cult well like when you don't say you're a cult you are a cult <laughs> yeah, you're a cult rule one of identifying a cult they say we're not a cult <laughs> so despite being the most popular secret religion <laughs> the most popular secret impiety was a serious crime and she was arrested some scholars and fictional books say that a scorned lover of Phryne ratted her out to be executed. I mean, hey, you couldn't post receipts of your ex back then, so, like, 
execution next best thing yeah so we would usually talk about murderers and guilty women on this podcast but technically she was innocent she didn't hurt anybody and she just wanted to practice her religion before her trial Phryne wrote to praxiteles in the letter it said quote have no fear for you have wrought a very beautiful work of art such as nobody in fact has ever seen before among all things fashioned by men's hands you have set up a statue of your own mistress in the sacred precinct near your Aphrodite and your Eros, too, and do not begrudge me this honor. For it is Praxiteles that people praise when they have gazed at me, and it is because I am a product of your skill that the thespians do not count me unfit to be placed between gods. One thing only is still lacking to your gift, that you come to me so that we may lie together in this precinct. Surely, we shall bring no defilement on the gods that we ourselves have created. Farewell. So, this was either a letter she wrote to comfort him, say like, hey, everything will be fine, or she might be telling him not to worry because she has a secret plan up her sleeves. Ooh. Now, it is time for Let's Learn Something New! Today, we are going to talk about how the inventor of the torture device, the brazen bull, Perilous of Athens, was tricked into being his death machine's first victim. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, continue, continue. <laughs> I'm actually really excited about this. The brazen bull was a hollow statue of a brass bull that caused a painful death. This is how the torture device worked. A person, primarily criminals, would be locked inside the bull. The executioners would light a fire beneath it, heating the metal belly area. If you don't know basic science, metal is a heat conductor and would quickly get hot. Eventually, the person inside would be roasted to death. The body and the head of the bull was designed with a system of tubes that the prisoner's screams convert into sounds like a raging bull. The steam of the body would also go through the nostril tubes, enhancing the illusion. Katie? Remember uh, beginning of the episode, I said... Okay, I, for you... I forgot about this part. <laughs> We're not going to talk about cooking people again, right? And you're like, no. Okay, but it's going to... I don't want to say it's going to be worth it, but... <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> You'll see. Perilous, a ruler in ancient Greece, didn't exactly like Perilous's invention and was understandably disgusted with Perilous. You know, like a decent human being. <laughs> he stated, his words revolted me. I loathed at the thought of such ingenious cruelty, and resolved to punish the artificer in kind. He then dared Perilous to go inside the bowl. He stated, If this is anything more than an empty boast, Perilous, if your art can really produce this effect, get inside yourself and pretend to roar, and we'll see whether the pipes will make such music as you described. He consented, and when he was inside, I closed the aperture and ordered a fire to be kindled. Receive, I cried, the due reward of your wondrous art. Let the music master be the first to play. Now that's a pretty metal quote. <laughs> this has been Let's Learn Something New. And now back to our regularly scheduled crime talk. At Phryne's trial, her defense lawyer was the orator or public speaker, Hypirides, who was apparently one of her courtiers. Throughout her trial, Hypirides defended her the best he could, but he knew he was losing the case. It was said that, taking her life in her own hands, Phryne moved to the center of the court, dropped her robe, 
and exposed herself to the pack room of male judges. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. There's another version of the story that said that her lawyer actually took off her robes, but, um... I like that version less. Yeah. I was gonna say, do you want to pretend that she did it herself? Like, we shouldn't be changing history or whatever just because we're uncomfortable, but some historians believe that she did it herself, so we'll just go with those guys. You showed me the painting called Phryne Before the Arapagus by Jean-Léon Jérôme, circa 1861, of Hippirides taking off Phryne's robe. Yep. What I like about this painting is that if you look at the men in the picture, each and every one of them has a different expression. They either look repelled, fascinated, horrified, amused. There's one guy that looks like he's thinking about every decision he has ever made in his entire life. (laughs) Phryne's argument was that only the gods could sculpt a body so perfect such as hers. Killing or imprisoning her would be an affront to them sacrilegious even. It would be a crime against the gods themselves not to allow her walk away free, and that Aphrodite would be wicked mad if some dumb old men destroyed something that was literally crafted in her image. Please tell me this worked. According to historians, Phryne not only walked away free, but the court had to ban getting naked in the court. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, all right, this works, but, um... I can't believe we gotta say this, but you're not allowed to get naked in the court. <laughs> no titties in court. You can take that. <laughs> Are we allowed to say titties? <laughs> not T-I-T-T-D-D-T-D. <laughs> Leave your mark. <laughs> However, some party pooper named Athenius also provide a different account of the trial given in the Athesia of Poseidopus of Cassandria. He simply described Phryne as clasping her hands of each juror, pleading for her life with tears without disrobing. Some historians argue that this account of Poseidopus is the authentic version and that Phryne never bared her bears. bears. (laughs) (laughs) Bared her bears. And that Phryne never showed herself before the court during her trial. This makes me wonder if she didn't expose herself, why would this rumor be going around? Were they jealous because she was a successful woman? Were they slut-shaming her? Did any of this really happen? Is this empowering or disturbing? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Okay, so this could be one of two things, where she either did expose herself in the court and it worked. Somehow she was able to use that to talk her way out of, you know, being killed. Or she didn't expose herself but was still able to somehow get away from the death penalty and someone was just mad enough about it that they're like it only happened because she showed her titties (laughs) can i say titties i just like how you crossed your arms like (laughs) she showed her titties (laughs) so historians don't really know exactly what she did after court as far as we know she lived a full happy life after that and her many 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 piles of money (laughs) good for her. I can see her just being Scrooge McDuck, just jumping in. <laughs> yes. Alright, um, any lessons of the day? Any last words? If you've got a booty of the gods, you gotta use it to escape death. Yep! <laughs> Alright, good night. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Appeal. 
Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can always know when to come back for more cases of Women on Trial. Sex Appeal Women on Trial was brought to you by us, Kit Elliott and Katie Clark. Music is Dark Tranquility by Anno Domini Beats. Special thanks to Framingham State University's WDJM Radio. We would like to thank Malin Costello from MC Design Photography for creating our logo. You can find her on Facebook and Instagram under mcdesign underscore photography. Remember to leave a five-star rating and review us on iTunes. And follow us on Instagram at sexappealpodcast and Twitter at sexappealpod. You can also visit our website, sexappealpodcast.weebly.com, for additional content, including more details about our episodes, like written transcriptions and pictures. If you have any questions about our show or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at sexappealpod at gmail.com. Thank you.